0: Hey, you know, um, when when we lived in Joplin, Missouri, southwest Missouri, they always said that there were only two kinds of music in heaven, country and western. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I shared that, just thought it was great. Ain't no grave, can hold this body down, right? Good, good stuff. Hey, we're glad you're here. We're in this series called Taste It. Where we've challenged as many people as possible to start reading scripture, maybe for the very first time, or, or maybe if you've been reading a while to take that step and read straight through scripture in 90 days. Doing the sprint. I, uh, ask somebody that's doing that to come up and just share a little bit today. Would you welcome up Dustin Curran, my buddy? Everybody say hi, Dustin. Hi, everybody.
1: Uh, Dustin, what do you do? I am a, a personal trainer at a gym.
0: Personal tra- And where do you live? I live in Charlotte. Give it up for Dustin. Woo! Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were talking the other day, and you said that you were reading, that you had taken the challenge, right?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, back in January when you offered it, I was kind of doing devotionals and dabbling here and there, flipping from chapter to chapter, and... You caught me on the right day. You accept you triple dog, triple, triple dog, dog dare. dare, and that's what got me. I, I jumped into the challenge with the triple dog, double. I don't think triple. I had to do it. Uh, that's good. So, so why'd you do it? Well, that's that's a good question. I I had to think about that for a second. What my motive was behind it? Because at times I can be like, oh well, check this off the list. God, I I read my devotional. I'm good. Get my blessing for the day, right? But that's not how it worked. I really just was at a place where I wanted to pursue Christ and. And read those love letters that he's written for us and for me and, and you get to get, get to know him more. Uh, and, and how's it been going? It's been going really well. You know, uh, talk about being transformed and renewed in your mind. It definitely
0: is, is doing those things for me. Cool. Um, uh, you're personal trainer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, so when you're doing training stuff, uh, lots of times when you're lifting or when you're working out, whatever you have, somebody that works with you that's a, a spotter, right? Yeah. Uh, you got a, you, do you have a spiritual spotter I,
1: this? Was, I was a spiritual spotter. So on the day that we were here, my good friend Austin was with me. And we, it's funny, because we had both kind of, before we came in, we had planned like a 90-day workout nutrition plan. And then we're like, well, if we're going to be physically fit, we should work on some spiritual fitness and emotional and mental uh, fitness as well. So he's doing it with me. So we're able to kind of talk through it and 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 spot each other, if you will. You know, when you're doing a sprint, you got to be careful. We might pull a hamstring or something. So we're helping
0: each other Good. out. Good. Uh, so ha- um, have you uh, have you read every single day? I have. I've missed like a day or like
1: I'd read half of the day and then have to catch up the next day. But mostly every every day I've been in
0: there, been consistent with it. And, and when you've missed, what what have you done?
1: i 've just set it, set it uh, aside a longer time to to get into it and catch up. just jump right back in just um, uh, when do you read uh usually in the morning um, that's that's when it helps me the best it kind of it sets the tone for my day. Um, I had a guy tell me one time that reading in the morning you see the world through the lens of the Bible, but when you you know there's no wrong time to read, but sometimes Later on in the day, I can catch myself viewing the Bible through the lens of the world at times, and it kind of distorts it. So I, I like to do it in the morning, personally. How how early? Uh, I wake up around 5:30 a.m. and get it done. Nice, nice, get nice, in, nice. Any time. any
0: encouragement to anybody who might be thinking about reading? Jump in.
1: Doesn't matter, 90 days, 365 days. That that's a living word, and it speaks to you. And just do it. It's it'll it'll help.
0: Give it up for Dustin. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, if you're doing the 90 day sprint, if you're doing the 90 day sprint this week, you're reading Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and into Isaiah. The message today is really going to focus on Isaiah, but, but just so that we can all kind of be on this, you know, 10,000, 30,000 feet view through scripture, just kind of as we're racing through, um, let me just talk for a second about, about those those books, about Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Before I get there, let me just say this. Uh, last Sunday, uh, Dustin went out to eat with me and Deb and we were talking about stuff. And I, I said, we're talking about the whole concept of a sprint. You know, when you're sprinting, when you're racing someplace... You have a good sense of where you're going, but you don't have a chance to dive in and really dig deep uh, at some places along the journey. And um, and I, I just want to encourage it. You. you know what? If you're diving deep, that's that's incredibly good. That's so good. Um, the, the reason that we did the 90-day sprint was because my sense was for many of us, we've never read all of Scripture in that short a period of time to be able to see the threads of the gospel all the way through, to see Jesus in the Old Testament, uh, in the prophets, in, in, in all of it together. And so uh, hopefully that's what you're getting. Uh, let me just talk about Proverbs for a second. Prover- Proverbs was written primarily by Solomon, but there are some other writers that are there too. Proverbs is observational wisdom. What that means is that Solomon, and the Proverbs writer, looked around and said, okay, what's going on in the world? What makes sense? What doesn't? What's good? What's bad? And and they gave short sayings that are, that would be there that would describe truth. Um, God came to Solomon when Solomon became king and, Sol- and said to Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon said, um, you know, God, I really, I don't know what I'm doing in this role as king. Would you give me wisdom to discern how to govern? And would you give me the ability to, dis- to discern right from wrong? That's, that's a pretty uh, incredible answer to that question. And God said, Solomon, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you all the stuff that you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you a long life. I'm going to give you honor. And, uh, and and that's a that's a pretty cool thing. So Proverbs is is kind of the summation of that. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. And like we talked about with Psalms last week, if you read five Psalms a day, you'll read through all 150 Psalms in a month. If you read one chapter of Proverbs a day, you'll read through the, through the entire book of Proverbs, um, in, in one month. So today's the 17th. Happy St. Patrick's Day for whatever that's worth. Uh, you want to jump in. If you're not reading scripture, start today at Proverbs chapter 17. Tomorrow, I'll read chapter 18. And the thing that you'll find with Proverbs is you won't read, read very far before all of a sudden you go, huh, never thought about that before. Or Boy, I want to explore that some more and God will speak through that process. Proverbs, observational wisdom. Ecclesiastes is different than Proverbs. Um, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes and he wrote it towards the end of his life. Um, when God blessed Solomon and gave him all this wisdom and wealth and stuff, um, uh, Solomon went through his life a- as the king of, uh, of Israel and and had peaceful years for the, for the years that he reigned. At the end of his life, he looked back and said, you know what, life is kind of meaningless. You go through all this stuff, Solomon experienced it all. You pursue wealth, and you get it, and it's meaningless. You pursue knowledge, and you get it, and you have all this knowledge, and in the end, it doesn't really matter a whole lot. Um, relationships you pursue relationships Solomon had seven hundred wives and three hundred mistresses concubines right Solomon at the end said you know what that's not what it's all about <laughs> really right <laughs> you know um, he said it's all it's all meaningless but at the end of Ecclesiastes there are uh, uh, Solomon writes this. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the summation of Solomon's life, the wisest man that ever lived. Uh, you know what, Dustin? Can you give me? Can you hand me my notebook? That's right there. Thanks. Having some tech issues. Um, the uh, the book of Song of Songs is um, is a different kind of book than Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. It is actually a book of love poems between uh, men and women. When uh, when we were going through the service before we started today, the guys in back said I had to say. Love poems. Real low. That that's what it's all if you've never read Song of Solomon, it's uh it's juicy stuff. It's the stuff that you as a husband and wife you can read out loud to each other. If uh you're getting married, save it for your honeymoon. Yeah, read it out loud in that kind of context. It's it's uh it's there, all right, in all of its glory. Um, uh, let me say this: some, some commentators say Song of Songs is actually uh, uh, an allegory of God's love for the nation of Israel. Other commentators say it's an allegory of Christ's love for the church. I tell you what I think. Really, I think it was just God saying, "You know what? It's a great thing for men and women to be married and to experience the intimacy that happens in marriage." It, it's that's good stuff. And it's there to, to, uh, to be enjoyed and to celebrate. And so, uh, Song of Solomon is kind of interesting. Um, it's, it is love poems. It's not like roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. It's it not that kind of love poem, right? It's at a deeper level. But while we're on the roses are red, I, I thought they, these were kind of fun. Roses are red, violets are blue. Um, pros use email, nerds use Yahoo. Thanks, thank you for uh, humoring me. Roses, are red, violets, or blue, you're just a panda if you don't know kung fu. Um, that was just to make sure that you're still with me, all right? Uh, so, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and, and now we're into Isaiah. We're entering into the world uh, towards the end of this week of the prophets, um, there are, there are uh, four major profits that, that we'll explore today and next week, uh, and then beyond that, the 12 minor profits. The difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet is not happy music and sad music. Thank you. Thank you. It's not the difference between a $300 million contract, major, minor kind of thing. It's just that the major profits are the longer books of the prophets, um, and the minor ones are the shorter books of the prophets. Um, God used the prophets to tell His truth to the people around, uh, particularly particularly in the period of the kings. Um, let me let me just put something up on on uh, on screen that will help you just have kind of a rough sense of timeline. So, about a thousand years before Christ is when David becomes king of Israel. A little bit before that, a little bit after that. And uh, his reign lasts uh, 30, 40 years. Solomon's reign lasts 30, 40 years. In 920 the um, nine twenty BC, the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel, the ten tribes of the two tribes, separate, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Uh, if you were reading in Kings, you read about that. Uh, fast forward a couple hundred years, and in 722, Israel, the northern ten tribes, are taken captive by Assyria. Assyria comes in, conquers them, and takes out all the leaders, a lot of the people, and moves them all over the place. Um, in 607, both Israel and Judah are conquered by Babylon. And Babylon takes more, uh, people into captivity. Uh, and then in 586, Jerusalem is destroyed by Babylon. That's, that's when the, the when the city's destroyed, everybody gets moved out. And then it's, uh, 537 is when the Jews begin to come back to restore Jerusalem, again, that you've read about. Seventy years between 607 and 537. That's a a prophecy that that happens uh, through the prophets. Isaiah's public ministry, if you kind of look at that context, Isaiah's public ministry is is roughly between 740 and 700 B.C. So he's there in the period of the kings. God gave these kings, he he used the prophets to tell force to tell forth his truth um, in the period of the kings, because so many of the kings were evil. So many had turned their back on God. So many were worshiping idols that God raised up prophets to tell the truth to people about turning back to God. Um, uh, in order to become a prophet, you didn't go to seminary. It, was, it wasn't the kind of thing that you drew on yourself. It was something that God called you to do. God, um, God chose people and began to speak through them. And when they faithfully gave his word, um, God just continued to use them over and over again. In Isaiah, the first 39 chapters are are prophecies, God's word to the Jews about what's going to happen. He says in the first 39 chapters over and over again, you are going to be taken into captivity. You're going to lose your freedom because you have forsaken God. And then from chapter 40 to chapter 66, um, it's like it, it probably... Um, Isaiah probably writes that later in life, and it's prophecy about what happens when, what will happen when the Jews come back to Jerusalem, when the nation is kind of reestablished, and when the Messiah ultimately comes. Lots of great stuff from Isaiah 40 to 66. The first 39 chapters are, are actually kind of devastating because they talk about the power of God, the might of God, the sovereignty of God, and the reality that Israel had turned their backs on God and that there, there was going to be a price that was paid for that. Um, have you ever tried to discern what it is that God wants you to do in life? How, what, what he, wants to, how he wants to use you to speak for Him in your world? I want, to, I want us to take uh, some time this morning and just look at one very famous passage in Isaiah chapter 6 that I think can teach us some things about how to recognize God's voice, how to follow Him, how to respond to Him in a, in a way that's very powerful. If you got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. If you've got the North Point app, open it up. There's some fill-in-the-blanks that are going to be there. But let's look together at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. "'In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple.' Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Does that bring back to mind the message from just a few weeks ago from 2 Chronicles chapter 5, when the Ark of the Covenant comes in as they dedicate the temple, and God's presence fills the temple so strongly that the priests aren't able to fulfill their duties. The presence of the God was there in Isaiah's mind in, in this vision that he has. What, what's it take to be used by God? I'm convinced that there's, I'm convinced that there's a key piece in those first four verses of Isaiah 6. It is a breathtaking interaction with the holiness of God. It's come to grips with who God is in his character. Most of us spend our lives wanting some interaction with the eternal. We want some kind of relationship with God. But the way that we tend to pursue it is by doing stuff, by going to church, by, by, by uh, you know, just reading a devotion, whatever. Um, Our interaction with the God of the universe comes when we begin to zero in and focus on his character and his holiness. How do we do that? We've got to create time for him. Dustin, getting up at 530 in the morning to read scripture, to have God speak to him in that quiet time. We've got we've to create time. We've got to pursue God. God doesn't just dump himself on us. We have to actively pursue him. We have to fully focus on who he is and on his character. And that's why it's so important to dive into scripture. We know God. We can see him in creation, but we know him through his word. And God reveals himself, he reveals his character through his word. I, We've, we've been saying, taste it, man, in this series, taste it. Just jump into Scripture and, and dive in and begin to read. It's in Scripture that we understand who God is and what he wants in our lives. You know, um, there, there's a question that I think is a, is a pretty powerful question. What, what's the purpose of your spiritual life? What do you want your spiritual life to accomplish? Think about that for a second. I think for many of us who would say, you know, ultimately, the reason for my spiritual life is because I want to go to heaven when I die. I don't want to go to hell. I don't think that that's a good enough reason. The purpose for our spiritual life, the purpose for our relationship with God, is so that we can have an intimate relationship with the God who created us, so that we can know him and be known. Why do we read scripture? It's not to check off a box. Why do do we share the grace of Jesus with people? It's not to check off a box. It's so that we can know God intimately, so that we can know his heart, so that he can know us and we can be open and honest and transparent with him. Intimacy can only happen when we're transparent with God. Read read what happens in verse 5. Holy, 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 they've said, Isaiah says, woe to me. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What's it take to be used by God? Authenticity and brokenness. Do you sense that in Isaiah's heart? He sees the glory of God and says, man, I've got no business being in this place. There's a difference between being aware of our sin and being overwhelmed with the reality of our sin and the separation that it creates between us and God, a holy God. It's not enough to just confess sin. We have to spiritually hit rock bottom. Uh, For different people, it takes different things. Sometimes it's a crisis. Sometimes we just come to a place that we say, you know what, I'm going to stop playing games. I'm going to stop trying to be a good person. I'm going to stop trying to be better than the people who are around me. My sin is blackness in the glory and the light of God. I've got no place, no business being in his presence. Uh, Please understand this. We are not good people. We may try and convince ourselves that we're, that we're good, that we're better than the people around us, we're better than the people we see on the news, we're better than the people who commit crimes. We are not good people. We are people of unclean lips, of unclean hearts, and unclean minds. And that situation, that reality cannot be remedied by anything that we can do. We... We've got to stop pretending and own our own sinfulness. We have to. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter seven. Roman quotes it in Rome, Paul quotes it in Romans three. There is no one righteous, not even one. Uh, understand that when when I talk about being overwhelmed with sin, with with the reality of our sin, this is not a. a Uh, Man, I'm a train wreck. I deserve to die. I'm such a horrible person. It's it's not that focus on us. Being aware of our sin is a focus on who God is and His holiness and His righteousness and recognizing that I'm not that at all. Isaiah says, Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. Verse 6 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a coal, a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What's it take to be used by God? Atonement. One who would take that sinfulness that is in, in us and put it on himself. When uh, atonement, the, the, you know the, one of the ways to understand atonement is that we are made at one with God, because someone takes our sin on himself. Jesus did. Our awareness of our sin and the holiness of God is not enough. We've got to have a "Come to Jesus moment. We can't just slide through life. We've got to have this sense of, you know what, now is the time. Everything changes. I cannot live the way that I am, that I have been living any longer. Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3, and Nicodemus said, what do do I need to do? And Jesus said, you've got to be born again. You've got to let God get in and change you from the inside out. A complete transformation. We have to to come to grips with an acceptance that God can and wants to do a work in us, that he wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to allow his holiness to become our holiness, not anything that we can do on our own, but only through him. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. What's it take to be used by God? It takes a willingness to say yes wherever God leads. A willingness to say yes wherever God leads. Understand that God gives us the ability to say no to him. He gives us an option. Every day when we wake up, we have the opportunity to say yes to God or no to God. We have, we, have the, we have the choice. Are we going to focus on God? Are we going to see the world through God's eyes or through our, own, uh, through our own eyes? When we say no, we lose and everyone else loses as well. Do you understand that if Isaiah had not said, here am I, send me, when, when God said, who, 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 will, who will go for me? If Isaiah had said, uh, I don't know, I, I'm not in, that the rest of the book of Isaiah would not have happened. We wouldn't have those words that came just that come just a few chapters later, in Isaiah chapter 9, where, where Isaiah, through the power of God, says, there's going to be this child that's born that's going to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We wouldn't have the words that happen in Isaiah chapter 40 when, when Isaiah, through the power of God, says, you'll mount with wings like eagles, you'll run and not be weary, walk and not be faint. The Lord is the everlasting God. If Isaiah had said no, we wouldn't have Isaiah 53 that describes in detail the Lamb of God giving his life for us. When God calls, answer the bell. In Isaiah's vision, when God says, who, who will go for me? Do you understand that in that setting, there was no one else? There was no one else who could say yes. It was Isaiah and only Isaiah. When God speaks to you and says, who will go for me? When God God says, here's what I want you to do, there is no one else that can respond to that question except you. God is not calling Dustin to do what God wants me to do. God is not calling me to do what only you can do. When God gives the call, only you can say yes. God, uh, you know... So much of the time when I talk to people, people say, oh, yeah, Rick, but you went, to, you went to Bible college, you went to seminary, you did all that stuff. It makes sense for God to be able to use you in the way that he does because you've got all that training, all that experience and stuff. Um, I know this is a cliche. I know it's on posters, but, but it's, it's reality. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips those he calls right? If God calls you to do something, he's going to provide the resources, he's going to provide the strength, he's going to provide the words, he's going to provide the energy to do what he has called you to do. He's not going to wait until you've done all the training, until you've prepared yourself to do that work and then call you. God is going to call and then he's going to give you what you need to accomplish that. How do you know how to respond when God, when God calls? That's the question, right? How do do I recognize God's voice? I I would maintain that when you have that that experience with the holiness of God, when you understand who he is, that you begin to recognize his voice in little ways at first, and then in greater ways. How do you respond? You you start just simply by saying yes in the little things. When, when, When God prompts you to make a phone call to somebody, when God prompts you to send a text to someone that you know is hurting, when God prompts you to to write a, a message, a note, and send it along, say yes to that. When God prompts you to go alongside someone who's hurting, say yes to that. Start with just saying yes to little stuff. I I shared a a number of weeks ago that as a leadership here at North Point, we have this sense of calling that God has prepared North Point to come alongside churches who are struggling and dying. You know, in my mind, I think, oh, there's got to be this grandiose scheme of what that looks like. You know what it's looked like for us? God allowed me to connect with this guy in Langsburg that's now done this replant of a church in Fenton. And we were able to send some money and to provide encouragement to them. And that church is doing some cool stuff. Through Jason and Hope Sharp that, that were on video last week, God made a connection with me with, with a uh, guy named Rick Markham that's, that, that went to First Baptist Church in Clio a church that was down to 15 people and ready to close their doors. And as a church, we've been able to send some money to help with the replant of that church. And our family life team, our family life ministry team, is going to go and help do training for their workers as they replant this church in Clio. You know, it's not any big grand, grandiose big scheme. It's just saying yes in little ways. About 20 years ago, Herb and Kim Burkett were sitting where you are, a part of the church. They came to a missions conference, and they both went home and said, you know what? I think God is calling us to be missionaries. Herb worked for the state. They were, they were just normal folks. God equips those he called. For the last 20 years they've been in Ukraine, shining for Jesus, planting churches, training workers that are now going all over the world. Um, what? Uh, when I was 17 years old, um, I had faith in Jesus. I I wanted to honor him and serve him. And I was at, at Camp Christian in Houston, Ohio. I can remember very clearly being outside that night. It had rained that day. It was, it was wet. And at the end of that service, at the end of, the, of that time of worship, Harry Holloway, a, a preacher at a little church in Lynn, Indiana, said, okay, who, who is going to respond to God's call to minister to people. Who's, uh, what he called it at that point in time was full-time Christian. Who's going to go into full-time Christian service? What he meant was who's going to be a preacher, who's going to be a missionary? I, I, I didn't think that I was supposed to do either of those things, but I knew that I had to respond to God. And I came down, I came down, uh, what's that been, almost 43 years ago, and said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. Now, many of you have heard my story, and I say, when I went to Bible college, I didn't intend on being, uh, on doing full-time ministry. Um, I had made this commitment because I knew God had called me, but I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know what it was going to look like. And it was a whole series of saying yes to little steps, one at a time, that eventually God led me and Deb into ministry, that ultimately that brought us here to North Point. When God calls, you've got to say yes, just one step at a time. One last thing in this passage in Isaiah that's critical is that when we say yes to God, when we recognize God's voice, when we know his heart, our response to him is not dependent upon how people respond to us. Um, the task that God gives Isaiah is a thankless one. Make no mistake about that. Um, he says to Isaiah, "Be faithful, be willing, even if you don't, even if you don't see the results. even if you don't get what you, what you hope for, be faithful." Verse nine of Isaiah chapter six. God said, "Isaiah says, "Hear my send me." And God says, go and tell this people, be ever hearing and never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people, the nation of Israel, calloused. Make their ears dull. Close their eyes because they keep hearing your word over and over again. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. God says, go and keep telling them, even if there is no response. Isaiah says, for how long, Lord? And God answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. What was Isaiah talking about? The captivity of Israel. God was saying, Isaiah, you keep speaking for me until the nation is carried away. Don't miss this. God is calling you to speak for him. God is calling you to live for him. God is calling you to make an impact for him. It's not enough to go through the motions of living a Christian life, of being a good person, comparing yourself to other people that you know, the people that you read about. The question asked of Isaiah is the question that is asked of us today. Who will I send? Who will go for me? And the answer is you. Send who? It's the title of today's message. Send me. That's the answer. Send you. Roses are red, violets are blue. Who's God want to send? The answer is you. The thing is, you're the only person who can say, here am I, send me. God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing. I mentioned Isaiah... Uh, chapters 1 through 39 are different than 40 through 66. 40 through 66 describes what happens when Israel returns to Jerusalem. And, and this Messiah comes, this person that Isaiah had described as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. I think one of the most important pieces in the Bible, one of the most important passages comes from Isaiah chapter 53. It's known as the suffering servant passage. And you know what? When Isaiah, when Isaiah prophesied it, when he gave the word, the Jews didn't understand it at all. They knew that it described somebody important. They knew that it was critical to their faith, but they couldn't wrap their minds around how this prophecy could somehow describe the Messiah, the one who would save them, the wonderful counselor that Isaiah had prophesied about. On our side of history, it's clear. It's the picture of a sacrificial lamb dying, one for all mankind. That word atonement that we talked about, Isaiah 53, is about atonement. One person taking the sins of everyone on himself, taking their punishment. Hear these words from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we're healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was lamb like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. We're going to share in a time of communion just now that I think makes perfect sense as we think about Isaiah 53. If you've got that open on your app, open in a Bible, man, read it. Sometimes when we, when we share communion, we look at communion through a victorious lens. We think about how God has worked in our lives and how much has changed. Sometimes, sometimes when we share in communion, we think about it with an eternal lens, that there's going to be a time that we share communion in the presence of Jesus with him in heaven. Sometimes sometimes we think about communion with this lens of self-examination. God, is there unconfessed sin in my life, stuff I need to get rid of? Today, today, I want you to think about communion in light of the suffering servant, of atonement, of the one who took our sin on himself. When I finish speaking in a little bit, the ushers are going to hand out trays. I want, to, I want to encourage you today to just take the cup and the bread and to, to just hold it. There's going to be a little bit of, of music that plays in the background. And just think about the holiness of God and that he takes, he takes those tongs and puts that coal on our lips and makes us holy through Jesus. Let, let this time allow you to stay in his presence, to express your love and gratitude to him. You know what? If you're not prepared to take communion today, feel free to just pass the trays on by. If you've got unconfessed sins, stuff that, that's there that you know is a separation between you and God, pass the trays by. If you're not ready to, to get rid of that and make it clean, if if you've never made the commitment to follow Jesus just pass the trace by and just in the quietness think about who God is and what he might have in store for you. Quiet music's going to play. Rest in his presence. Ushers, if you'd go ahead and come forward.